much bigger than you. Just stop, look, listen, see, hear, and be inspired. You, us, we. We are all part of God's started movement that is growing larger and faster than any other time in human history. It started with Jesus. And right now, there's nearly two billion of us around the world. Can you see it? Can you feel it? Can you sense the growing move of God as never seen before? From a small rural village in Peru to the boundless energy of New York City, from the slums of Calcutta to the suburbs of Nairobi, from basements in Riyadh to high rises in Hong Kong, from Toronto to Tokyo, from Manchester to Moscow, from cities in Thailand to the steppes in Tibet, God, God is on the move. Each person, each church, connected to Jesus himself by the call of God the Father and filled by the fire of the Holy Spirit. All of us from every tribe, every tongue, every family, every nation, born of God and now together working with God to see his kingdom come and his will be done on earth as it really is in heaven. As Paul wrote so long ago in Ephesians 2.21, in him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him you too are being built together to become a dwelling place in which God lives by his spirit. See, we really are all in this together. We at C4 Church have been given a small part of God's grand move around the world. We've been called to reach 10,000 people physically, emotionally, mentally, and of course spiritually. It may seem big and it's also small, but we believe, we've kept on believing, we've been praying as a community, and God has actually been answering our prayers. Last year was our highest average attendance in five years. Teens, young adults, adults, kids, more and more coming and meeting Jesus and, and being changed. Not only have we been growing numerically, we've been growing financially. For the last three years, we've seen increases year after year, and last year was our highest amount of giving, which is always a sign of growth and vision and connection. And even more amazing, more significant, I think, to all of us, we've had 62 people baptized in the last 13 months. See, that's the real sign of growth. That's the real sign of the move of God. It's real renewal, people being changed, their lives publicly and privately being oriented towards Jesus and, and what he's about around the world. 62 baptisms, hear that. That's 62 people and we all got to be part of their journey and now they're part of us. See, that's a small version of what's going on globally. And, and let me say it again, we're all in this together. Every time you see this in a church, you know, you know this is God because this isn't natural. Each story of personal renewal is a sign that Jesus is drawing close. We've been praying as a congregation for revival, and let me switch it up this way. We no longer need to pray for revival. See, this is revival. What we now need to do is pray that it keeps happening. It grows larger and larger, like waves in a tide coming closer and larger and stronger. See, see, when you have people confessing sin and you have people converting and you have people getting baptized and a church is becoming generous, that actually is revival. So now, let's keep praying that it happens across everyone in our church. I'm so proud to be part of this church and so inspired by what we've all done together. And I just want to say a huge thank you. Were you here last Easter? Do you remember that amazing day? 
so many of us more than before prayed that God would move and that people would come and hear the good news. Then we invited and we were expectant. And people came, friends, relatives, strangers, enemies. They all came and the church was packed. We couldn't fit any more people in. We needed more chairs. People were giving up their seats. There was vibrant worship and there was a clear, unashamed preaching of God's word. It was color for a gray world. See, that Easter, from morning to evening, we got it. We're really in this together. Actually, I think we got a glimpse of what is to come. That Sunday is our coming new normal. See, the future things are actually happening now. Things are growing. And yes, it's going to be exciting and powerful and life-changing, but it's going to be full of growth pains. But we're all in this together, right? We're all willing to be more flexible, right? Because of what's really happening. Like, this is about people. This is about eternity. This is about heaven and hell. Like, we're ready to do anything it takes to see that experience happen every Sunday because we're really all in this together. By ourselves, we can do some things, but not huge things. But together, we can do grand things, significant things, powerful things. And of course, when God is in the mix, He says that we can ask for the impossible and He can make the impossible possible. But see, it comes down to that theme, actually the theme for our year, that we're really all in this together, that we're all working together, open together, and expected that God is going to do this. I want to be part of a church that's doing biblical community, like really involved in each other's lives. I, I want to be part of a church where people serve radically. I, I want to be part of a church that gives generously, that's countercultural. I want to be part of a church that invites courageously, that isn't ashamed of the gospel and expects God to show up. I want to be part of a church that actually reflects what the Bible says. I want to be part of a church that says, yes, we're all in this together. I mean, we really are. With our money, our time, our lives, our kids, our families, and we're really willing to do anything it takes. And to, to acknowledge it's not just us, it's what God is doing globally. Why would we not want to be involved in something so profound, so beautiful, so life-giving? If we're going to be in this together, then really let's get to the point where we go, yes, yes, we're going to do this and we're going to keep on doing this. We believe that God is on the move around the world and God is on the move in Toronto and God is on the move in Durham. And yes, God's on the move right in our own church. So let's do this together. Let, let's step out in ways we've never done before so God can get glorified and we can see things happen we've only imagined about and now can actually become reality. What God's doing around the world, what God's doing in your life, what God is doing in our own church, we're really all in this together. Okay, okay. Good morning, C4 Church. Let's try that again for the online audience. Good morning, C4 Church. Hey, good morning. Glad that you're here this morning worshiping with us. I want to say again a welcome to many of you watching and listening online wherever you might be in Ontario, Canada, or the world. We are glad that you've chosen to come to church virtually sometime this week. 
I also want to welcome all of us to week chapter 2 in our new series for this year and also the theme of this year, that we're all in this together. Let me start this morning by clarifying why we're doing what we're doing. This series has one goal. This series at the beginning of this year is an exploration through the scriptures with one question to be answered. What does C4 Church want to be marked by? What does C4 Church as a local church want to be known for? What do we see in the scriptures and what are we determined to become? What are we determined not just to talk about but actually do together? How formed and molded will we become as a family under the holy scriptures and empowered by the spiritual Jesus? Like I said in this year's vision video, which many of you have seen, By ourselves, it's hard to do some things or big things. Together, we can achieve huge things. But if it's the will of God, through God, we can do all things. And then I said these words. Listen afresh to them. I want to be part of a local church that is doing community biblically, that is serving radically, that is giving sacrificially, that is worshiping passionately, that is praying expectantly, and inviting people to meet Jesus courageously. I want to be part of a church that looks like that. And I am here again to declare, I do belong to a church like that. But what I'm praying, hopefully you're joining me in this prayer, is that this exponentially becomes more and more our reality. That we really are all in this together in these areas. Now last week, if you were with us or you watched online, we looked and we heard and we prayed over doing community biblically. We listened to the ancient text of Acts chapter 2, 41 through 47, and we talked about how each local church, no matter what their denomination or stripe, must be marked by three things, globally and us ourselves. We have to be devoted to God's things. Devotion is a mark to the church. Awe is an experience of the church, and action is a non-negotiable in each church. Now, today's message is going to be in a different place. I want to root today's whole message in the category of awe. I want to preach today about passionate worship. I want to be part of a church, and I want this church family to be marked by more and more authentic, honest, heartfelt, passionate worship. Now, let me just say right up front, everything we do in the Christian life is worship. If you read Romans 12, we know that everything we do is part of our call to worship. We don't just do formal, ritualistic things and call those things worship. As Christians, we do life. How, how we use our money, how we deal with sexuality, how we deal with relationships, our inner life and our outer life are all done for the glory of God. And if they're not, they need to be checked. Now, hear this verse again if you've heard it before, Romans 12, 1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, and that's saying because you have met the living God through Jesus, offer your bodies, your members, as a sacrifice, a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. How we think, what we do, and how we act is worship to God. But in today's message, I want to narrow our conversation to one thing. I want to narrow it down to the words and music we use when we gather together. Worship in this context is the music and words we direct not at each other, but to God himself in praise. Now, let's be honest. Real worship is willing. Real worship is conscious. And real worship is other-centric. It's adoration of God. I love this definition I found this week. Worship 
is the activity of glorifying God in his presence with our voices and our hearts. Do you notice this? As we get into this today and we begin to ask ourselves and evaluate, is this us yet? Notice the definition says, with our voices and our hearts. It is the music we sing. It is the words we say. But if the heart is not engaged to God, it is not worship. See, it takes attitude. You could say it this way. Worship is attitudinally driven holy action. If your voice is engaged but your heart is not there, there's trouble. Now let's get back to the beginning of the word worship. In church and in culture, we use words all the time and never think about where they come from. The word worship in English actually comes from two other words. The first one is the word worth, the word we get now called worth. The second one is ship. Now, not a boat. Don't, it's a different ship, okay? And this is what it means in the Old English and actually in French. It means this, condition, quality, power, office, and position. Now watch this. Because God has a quality that no one else has, because God has a condition that no other person has, because God holds a power because he is power that no one else has, since he holds the position and the office of God, because he is unlike anything else because he is creator, he is worth something more. See, that's what worship means. Because of the quality of him, he is worthy of our time and our praise. But you can only worship God. You can only give worth to God. You can only acknowledge his quality and his office and his power and his presence if you're in relationship with God already. Let me give you an example. Who here has been to a wedding before? Raise your hand really high. Okay. Now I want you to think about a wedding. Many of us have been invited to a wedding and we do not know the bride and the groom, right? We're there as a date. We're there because we go with a spouse. It's a work thing, whatever. And so we go, and we're bored out of our mind. Let's, right? Come on, let's admit it. We don't know the bride and groom. We're not engaged. The ceremony may be nice or terrible. We don't know. But we're sitting in the back, and we're like, it's Facebook. Yeah, this is great. Then we go to the reception because we want the free food, right? And then they show the hour video about them and being naked in the bathroom. You're like, really? Really? I need to see this? And you're totally disengaged. Why? You don't know the people. Then there's a whole other group of people who go to weddings who are not the bride and groom, and they're the family and their friends, and they're excited to be at the wedding. I mean, this is, the environment's nice, but they have relationship. They want to see the person naked at three, you know, years old in the bathtub because they're like, oh, I remember that too. I was there naked with you. Okay, whatever, right? <laughs> but the heart of it is this. You're engaged because you know the person and you're excited for them, if it's a healthy family. Side note. Okay. <laughs> then there's another category of people, the bride and the groom. And when that groom is standing and the bride comes down the aisle, there is awe, there is fear, there is sweating, there is nervousness, there is excitement, there is power. Why? Because a person is deciding to spend the rest of their life and give their life to this other person, and they're going down the aisle to encounter them and say, I love you. Why does this matter? See, that is what happens every single Sunday in this church. All sorts of you come here, and you don't even know why you're here. You're looking around, you're bored. You're going to sing that song again? Really? You love him again? Yeah, yeah, I don't. You're not in dynamic engagement in worship because you got invited to a wedding and you don't even get this as a love story. 
There's a whole larger group of people, though, that are here that like the environment and like the worship and like the atmosphere because we like the person that's sort of getting married. It's very exciting for us, and, and we like the idea of what's going on, but we're still observers watching the bride and groom. But worshipers, worshipers are people who show up to church, and they know they are coming to meet the lover of their souls, and they are coming to walk down the aisle and say, I give you everything because of my love towards you. There is a vast difference between observing and walking down the aisle. And the truth is many people in church are bored of their mind, disconnected, or in awe of the environment, but they are not coming prepared to meet the lover of their souls. That is what was happening 10 minutes ago, whether you knew it or not. See, worship is done by saved people grateful people, and in love people. If you're a Christian here this morning, worshiping God should be as natural as breathing because it actually stems from awe, love, respect, desire, obedience, and life transformation. Worship has always been a central experience of those who fully and truly know God. Words to God, whether said in liturgies or songs sung to God, help fulfill the reason for our living and the purpose of our existence. Actually, Verbal worship is a direct expression of being a fully engaged human being. Our purpose as human beings, whether you like this or not, is to love God and give glory to God first and then enjoy Him forever. And so when we gather and sing to Him and we give to Him and we speak together to Him, we get to glory in God and give Him glory and enjoy Him forever. Now lots of preachers love preaching out of the Exodus story. The story of Moses and the basket and the burning bush and the plagues and let my people go, right? And the Red Sea. It preaches really, really well. But it's really interesting how many, many leaders don't stop. And the little, little phrase that's found in the middle of the story, the the declaration of why God wants his people to be set free. God comes close to Moses and he says these words in Exodus 7, 16. God says, Moses, you go tell Pharaoh this. The Lord, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews has sent me to say to you, let my people go. Why? So they may worship me in the wilderness. But until now, you have not listened. Salvation as an experience ushers you and we together into a place and time of worship. Pharaoh, you let my people go so they can come out into the wilderness and worship me together, be in my presence together, speak to me, and sing to me. Notice that God doesn't just save a person, he saves a people. And one of the most common, consistent, amazing things throughout all of holy history is that we get to worship the God that we know has saved us and brought us out of Egypt. Worship reminds us we're all in this together that we're saved together, we know the same God together, we get to celebrate him together, and our relationship with him is unity, and we get to say back to God, thank you. It reminds us we're not alone, but it's deeper. Musical and verbal worship reminds us that we are not, everyone ready? God. We are not made to be God, we cannot handle being God, there is no other greater than him. See, catch this this morning and check your heart. Worship is the willing act of saying with joy 
and gratitude and with hope and decision, I am not God. I do not need to be God. I do not ever need to hold the glory of God because God, you deserve my respect and I'm willing, you to, give, I'm willing to give you my love, my adoration. I'm devoted to you, my money, my children, my life. Everything is for you. Nothing or nothing else in my life should ever have a higher position than you in my life, oh God. What was the lie that Satan whispered into Eve's ear and then Adam's? Don't you know that God's afraid of you? Don't you know that you deserve to be higher than you are? Break out of the chains of being human and ascend to be God. Because if you do, you will overcome him. Worship is the public declaration that we say no to the lie of the devil. It is the public declaration that we say in a world that still exalts itself as God. No, no. We know our condition and we're okay with it. We like being slaves to a holy God. God is worthy of our worship. And we are never worthy. John, St. John, in my opinion, the person who knows or knew God the most, more than Paul. The one who walked closest with Jesus. The, the, the one who was in exile at 90, had led multiple churches, sitting there and suddenly he meets his best friend in a glorified state. At 90 years old, it says he fell down. That's tough at 90. Anyway, he went down and he was given the book of Revelation. And after, after he'd seen everything, he had seen the visions of what is to come. He saw what Jesus was saying to local churches as he was given the hope that Nero and all other things would not overcome Jesus Christ. At the end of it, it says in Revelation 22, that as he was watching the end of this, he actually looked at the angel that had revealed this to him. And he fell down and he worshiped at the angel's feet. And then the angel said, stop it. Never worship me. I am only a fellow servant of the living God. Only worship God. If John, who walked closest to Jesus and was given the book of Revelation and wrote the gospel of John and 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John and led a church through persecution could mess up where his worship would be directed, guess what? We're going to do it too. Well, be careful, church, what you worship because according to the book of Isaiah, it says that God will not share his glory with another. God is the only one who deserves worship, praise, and adoration. So if that's what worship is, it is the verbal and the musical expression we give back to God for who he is and what he's done, and it must be God-centric at all times, then here's the question we need to ask, especially us who've done church for, for generations or years. What is actually happening when we speak or we sing? And I'm just going to take a moment to pray for something. Lord Jesus, I pray by your spirit, nothing can interfere with what's about to take place. Here and online, let us hear your word. Let nothing stop it in Jesus' name. What happens when we sing? So John, okay, let's be honest. Sometimes when I come to church and we sing or give or read, it's great. Sometimes it's boring. Sometimes I'm inspired. Sometimes I'm not. Sometimes, you know, it's a thousand things. Personality, music style, my day, my week, who's leading, fill in the blank. Okay, that's fair. See, for church, if we want to be marked over the long haul by passionate worship, then we actually need to accept 
decide to believe what the Bible actually is saying is happening when we raise our voices and our hearts together. So here's the question again. Ten minutes ago when Dan was leading us in singing, what actually just took place? Because this isn't a Taylor Swift concert, right? So what happened? Anything? Is it just psychological? Is it just euphoria? You know, we feel something nice? Or something more happening? Well, let's go to the source of our authority and ask the question. What does the Bible actually declare is happening, whether you're sitting in a church with five people who can't sing at all excellently with an organ, or a church like ours, or they're saying a liturgy, or a huge church where everyone raised their hand? What is happening? Well, here's the first thing. Hebrews 10.19 says this, Therefore, my brothers and sisters... Okay. since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus. Now, most people preach this verse about prayer. But it's more than that. Every time a church gathers to worship, we walk with and through our high priest, our high priest right into the place where angels fear to tread. Whether you believe it, felt it or not, whether you cried or were bored out of your mind, at that moment 10 minutes ago, we all walked into the Holy of Holies and we faced our Creator. In the Old Testament, you couldn't do this, but now we're in Jesus, we can. And so here's the greater question then. If we just walked into the environment of the divine, does the Bible actually give a description of what that environment looks like? Well, it does. Everyone get your Bible and turn to Revelation 5 virtually, physically, because I want to just read to you what happens every time we gather together. May this be a joyful moment and a sobering moment to all of us together. Revelation chapter 5 verse 6. This is the environment of the divine. This is what happens when we sing to God, to Jesus Christ, to the Spirit. Then I saw a lamb, looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. And the lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, and which are the seven spirits of God sent out over the whole earth. And he went and he took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat at the throne. So that's the father. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down and they, they worshiped before the lamb. And each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. Our prayers are collected. Did you know that? And they sang a new song. You are worthy. You are worthy to take the scroll and open up its seals, because you were slain, and with your blood you have purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them to be a kingdom and a priest to serve our God. And and they will reign on the earth. And then I looked. And I heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands, ten thousands upon ten thousands, and they encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders, and in a loud voice they were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. And then I heard every creature in the heavens and every creature on earth and every creature under the earth and in the sea, all of them saying, To him, to him who sits in the throne and to the Lamb, be praise and honor and glory glory and power forever and ever. And the four living creatures says, it is true, it is true, amen. And the elders fell down and they worshiped. Every time on a Sunday when we gather and we sing, this is the entrance, this is the reality you just casually walked into. 
This is not just metaphor and poetic license. This is the environment of the divine. And when we sing, we enter right into God's holy presence and we join with every angel that has stayed loyal to him and all the people that have gone before us that are already di- have died and are in God's presence and are with Jesus. We enter into that place that if we did not have Jesus' covering, we would die because of our sin. See, we're in the presence of God now. Here's the question, C4 Church. I don't care how long you've done church. Do you actually believe this? Or is this just something you don't think about? Do you ever say this is true before you come on a Sunday? See, right now, this is happening. Whether you feel it or not, whether you're crying or not, whether you get tingles or not, it's happening. God is among us, and we are in the holy place because of the work of Jesus. So here's my question. Would you sing differently if you realized this was the environment you were in? Would you give differently? Would you come and get ready to really give Would you prepare for Sunday differently? Would you pray differently if you read this before you came to church? Would you say something would happen to you before you stepped through the doors, before you got in the car, before on Saturday night you said, I am about to enter into the reality of God himself with his people. Am I ready? Let this begin to mark us as a church starting today. I want to be part of a church that is marked by passionate music, musical and vocal worship. But this only happens when each person decides to know, not only intellectually what's about to happen, but we come expectantly and believe who we are about to meet and what environment we're about to meet in, no matter our feeling or musical preferences. God is the one who deserves all worship. This is the environment we have the privilege of going into. And I remind you, church, this morning, billions of people have no access to this that we take for granted. So then, if that's the environment, what happens when we walk into it? Well, the first thing is this. When the church comes ready to sing and speak, we get to delight in God. The psalmist got it best in Psalm 73, 25. Whom have I in heaven but you? And on earth, I have nothing, I desire nothing beside you. Is that true of you? Or here's the one that we sing a lot in our own song, Song 84. How lovely is your dwelling place, Lord Almighty. How my soul yearns and faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. Is this you when you sing? Is this you when you pray? This is what happens when heaven and earth touch and kiss. See, when we enter in to worship, it is the best thing we get to do all week because we get to delight in our God and fulfill the reason for our existence. You want a purpose-driven life? Become a worshiper because you were made to know him. But it's not just this way. Dave prayed it right. The amazing thing about our movement is God comes close towards us. 
And so not only does God get delighted when we worship him, actually it says in scripture that God turns around and he delights in us. God loves being around us and in us when we worship. He's drawn like to our worship like a moth to a flame. The creator of all things is emotionally and physically, in that sense, moved towards a community that worships him in the good times and the bad times. And what does he do when he shows up? It says in the prophet Zephaniah, Verse 17, chapter 3, the Lord your God is with you. The mighty warrior who saves, he will take, notice it, great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you. I love this. But he will rejoice over you with singing. Have you ever thought about the biblical principle that when we sing to God, God sings back over us? Do you know what his song is full of? His song is full of all the truths we spent the summer learning about in We the People. You're loved, you're adopted, you're my child. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. The evil one has been broken in your life. I sing truth over you because you are now my adopted child. We delight in him and he delights in us. Do you see how deeply relational this thing really is? A typical day in my week with my kids is interesting. Like I've shared, I have a five-year-old, a four-year-old, and a two-year-old, a cat, who now is neglected completely. <laughs> Love me. Yeah, anyway, yeah. Um, in the middle of a chaos on a Saturday morning between pancakes and waking up and Dora the Explorer being way too loud and fighting and I didn't wash my hands when I went to the bathroom and running around and playing tag and then being the United Nations all in three minutes... Sometimes I sit on my couch and I'm delighted by my people, my my kids. I look around and I'm just like, I love this. Not all the time. I'm not God. Only half the time. (laughs) That's why we have the spiritual discipline of confession. Um, But I love them. I, I I just love being in their presence. I love them just running around me. I just love that they're there. I, I don't have to say anything. I don't need to be, just, oh my goodness, they're in my presence. I delight in my kids' presence. And you know this as parents or grandparents, psychologists or educators, you know that kids know when they're wanted, even without a word, right? I just love my kids in their presence. But the amazing thing is not only do I delight in their presence, I, I am overwrought when they love mine. My oldest hits me a lot these days to show her love. She's five and she hits me as hard as she can. And I know she's trying to say to me, not just pay attention, I love you. My middle child is classic. She rolls all over me because she needs to know that she knows that I love her. So she gets in my face. She holds my face like this. She says, I like your beard. My son is all boy. All boy. Man, things have changed from princess land. Um, Cars and fighting, and it's awesome. But I love in the middle of his intensity, he will run up to me, and he will put his head on me and just smile at me. Just for a moment, then he'll hit me and run away. (laughs) But see, so many of us in this church choose to miss that with God because you don't come ready for worship. God delights in our worship, and he delights in us, and we delight in him. But it's deeper than that. When we come ready to worship, it says in the scriptures, it is a promise 
that if you draw near to God, he will draw near to you. This is the truth of this. It's in James 4.8. Worship is a guaranteed place of meeting God himself. God is everywhere, but in times of worship, when the people come ready to meet him, when they're seeking him, they're dealing with sin, and they want him to come, he moves from omnipresence to palpable presence. His sovereignty turns into the greatest beautiful act called providence. And we see this so strongly expressed throughout all of Holy Scripture when the people really Come, God shows up and changes them. Second Chronicles 5, the verse, the chapter we've been given as a church to pray for the revival of our own church. What does it say in verse 13? It says, The trumpeters and musicians joined in unison to give praise and thanks to the Lord, accompanied by trumpet and cymbal and instruments. The singers raised their voice and praised the Lord, and they sang, He is good, He is good, and His love endures forever. And the temple of the Lord was filled with the cloud, who is God. And the priests could not perform their service because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the temple of God. You want to know where God is? You want to meet him? Worship. Because he shows up when you're really wanting him. God comes close to us and delights in us and we delight in him. He promises us that if we draw close to him, he will draw close to us. This this is so beautiful, but it's even deeper and more profound because then it says in scripture that God in his mercy ministers to us. Have you ever thought about the presence of God? See, when God comes, he brings himself. You go, that's obvious. Well, think about it. When God comes among a people and comes close and palpable, he brings his love and his holiness, and we are overwrought again. Our sin is suddenly confronted. Our our lies about ourselves are suddenly exposed. All the stuff we're wasting our time with in our life is suddenly brought into perspective. See, when we come and we worship and we ask God to draw close, and he brings who he is, he ends up ministering to us and setting us free from sin. Let me again quote the author of Hebrews. Hebrews 4.16. Let us then approach God, God's throne throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace and help in our time of need. There is no one who can help us in our time of need like our God. Wouldn't you say that's true? No one. Your parents can't do it. Your therapist can't do it. I can't do it as a pastor. Not the way God does. And it says that when we enter into the holy place, and this is not just about prayer, this is about worship, musical and verbal worship. When we choose as a family to enter in, he will meet us there and he will meet us in our time of need. How many of you have come to a service broken, discouraged, ready to give up, and it's actually doing the music before or after or during the prayer time that suddenly you know God is close and he's ministering to you? Raise your hand. I've had it. Think about it. Why do we ever believe he's not going to do that? That's what he promises. He delights in us and we delight in him. He promises if we come close to him, he'll come close to us. He says that when he comes close, he'll minister to us. But I love this even more. Something else even happens that we so rarely talk about in the church. Let me tell you, when the people of God worship, and I don't care the style, I do not, I have great joy going to a high Anglican church with bells and smells and liturgy. I love it. I do. 
I love going to an all-hymn church. I love our church. we got a style here, fine. But when the people of God come and they sing, do you know what happens in the heavenlies? The enemy of God begins to flee. This is spiritual warfare when we sing. So you better get your armor on before you come to church. It says in 2 Chronicles 20, 21, in the Old Testament, after consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and praise Him for the splendor of His holiness as they went out in head of the army. Give thanks to the Lord, they sang. His love endures forever. And as they began to sing and praise, the Lord began to set ambushes and they defeated God's enemies. Have you ever considered, would you choose not to be selfish and understand that when we worship Jesus comes close and the demons who are in people in this church begin to cry out. Chains are broken and the heavens, whether you feel it or not, are filled with the praises of redeemed people because we are saying as a community and we are joining the global church and the church already in heaven and we are demonstrating to principality and power and ruler and authority, Jesus is above you and Jesus has made mockery of you and Jesus has stripped you of your power. And how do we know that? Because we get to enter the holy place and we get to sing that we've been changed and redeemed. You don't own us anymore. Jesus owns us. That is deep, deep spiritual conflict. And we come in and we say, oh, I don't like the worship today. This is a powerful demonstration to the things that still think they own this world, that Jesus' victory is true. He desires us and we desire him. He comes close to us and we come close to him. We get ministered to, we get to declare and see the evil one broken. You know what? The other thing that happens is this. People who are among us right now at this moment who do not know God encounter him. I've had so many people, those seeking and those not, come to church, invited, dragged here, walked in off the street, come up to me and say, what was that? I'm like, what was what? You know, <laughs> what was that thing? What, I, what thing you take? When you people were singing, they, I, love, I know this when they always say, well, your, your, your lecture was very good. So I'm like, okay, thanks. Okay. And I said, well, what are you talking about? When you people sing, like I've been to a lot of concerts. I mean, this, you guys bring it. It's not what I expected at church. It's sort of cool. But what was happening with all you people? What do you mean? I don't know, but something. Yeah, his name's Jesus. He's here. Do you understand that people get converted during worship? As the prayers are sung or read, as the verses are read, as people sing, as we actually declare that we are getting married week after week, sometimes people in a barren, broken world that are desperate for love suddenly see a wedding worth attending. Don't be selfish. Don't come here with a bad attitude to worship because you and I are responsible to work alongside of God and it could lead to someone not spending hell forever. Worship is a place where people meet him and are transformed. You know, worship is commanded in the church. It's expected, it's welcomed, it's invitational, but it's not optional. Got your Bible still? Turn to Ephesians 5. As we come near the end, I just want to unpack this. Paul gives a description 
what he expects in local churches. He repeats it in Colossians. And, and let me just work it through with you. Number one, Ephesians 5, 17. It says, therefore, church, don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Can I just stop there? And can everyone look at the screen for a moment? We spend our lives as Christians trying to find out what God's will is. Should I marry this person, not that person, this college, that person? You know, Swiss Chalet, Big Mac. God never blesses a Big Mac, sorry. Um, you know, like... Well, maybe what we should do as Christians is find where we know what God's will is and spend most of our time doing that. So there it is. This is so what's God's will? Everyone ready? This is the will of God. Don't get drunk on wine. Okay, so everyone, no more drunkenness. Just want to say this this morning. No more drunkenness. No more sort of getting drunk. No more getting buzzed. No, no, that's not God's will. Stop. No more addictive behavior like that. If you need help, it's time to get help, but no more. That leads to debauchery. It leads to a lot of pain. Be, be filled with the Spirit, though. Oh, and, and how do you know you're filled with the Spirit in a church context? Oh, this is what happens. You're going to end up speaking to another, one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs from, the spirit, songs from the Spirit. So sing and make music from your heart, notice, to the Lord. You don't sing about God. You sing to God. Can I say that again? You sing to God, not about Him. Always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So singing is the will of God as we wait for His return. And then he says, I want you to speak to one another. So it's a communal thing. And he says, I want you to do it with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. So what's a psalm? Well, actually, everyone's surprised. It's the psalms. There it is. It's actually singing out the scriptures. Many of the songs we sing here are rooted right in the psalms or other places. And then he says, I want you to speak with, sing with hymns. Now, let me tell you what a hymn is and what it's not. A hymn in Greek, is any song written down for the glory of God. It's not just crown him with many crowns and a mighty fortress is our God. It's also shine, Jesus, shine. Sorry. It's everything. Every song we sing in this church is a hymn. Every one of them. Psalms, the scriptures, written down Songs that we participate in. Oh, and the last one is spiritual songs. Well, hmm, what is that? Well, oh, oh, everyone, it's singing in tongues. Oh, oh. Or it's a song made up by a worship leader on the moment, sporadically, under the inspiration of the Spirit, to lead the people. So he says, my expectation is you're going to have the use of Scripture and written communal songs and really interesting things all happening all at once. So go team, hope that works out. He says, this is not only my expectation, this is God's will. But here's the point. All the songs have to be agreeing with Scripture, exalting God, edifying Christians. Now, in Colossians 3.16, he repeats the same thing. But I want you to hear this. It says, let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude that comes from your hearts. This is huge. Everyone, I need everyone to pay attention. Gratitude with your heart means will and intentionality. This is what Marva Don wrote. This phrase suggests that we can sing praise to God whether we feel like it or not, that we deliberately celebrate who God is simply because he's worth our adoration. It doesn't say anything about whether we like the song or if it makes us even feel good. It is a chosen spiritual discipline to come and adore God. It's harder when you're not moved, but we do it anyways because all people who know that are married, you got to love person in the good times and the bad times, and love isn't a feeling, love is a choice. 
And that's the same with worship. Now, we all know, sitting in this church, let's talk about the pink elephant in the room, that musical style comes and goes with each church, and each church has to make a decision what style they're going to have because you can't please everyone. So let me quote from one of the most famous theologians, the great cultural architect of our time, Homer Simpson. (laughs) Homer Simpson was talking to his father, Abe Simpson. And Homer Simpson said these words, Dad, you wouldn't understand, so you're not with it. Abe Simpson responded, well, I used to be with it, and then they changed what it was, and now uh, what I'm with isn't it, and what it is is weird and scary to me. And then he looked at Homer and said, but don't worry, son, this is going to happen to you too. Here's the point. Here's the point. You get hung up on musical style, you're done. You're done. Every church has to make a call. Don't like our call? Honestly, I know it's difficult. Fine. There are, we have a great gift in Durham called 50 churches. I'm, no, I'm, not being a, I'm not being a jerk here. I mean this. We have a great gift where we have such variety. Remember, most Christians don't have any around the world. But let me drive to the heart of it. One scholar in Christianity Today wrote this. Please, if you're getting offended now, this is when you really need to listen. Every complaint about musical worship, no matter the style, is always claims to be theological. And yet almost every, if not every critique, actually always aligns with your own taste. Fair. So let's actually do something more helpful. Let's actually look at what the gospels say. A tree is known by its fruit. So let's make this the mark of worship. Music not ought, to be, ought not to be judged, not by the songs themselves, but all the people who are singing them. Looking at the songs themselves is rather looking like the bar, at the bark on the tree and pronouncing the tree good or bad. Instead of looking at the bark, look at the fruit. The lives of the people who are singing them, up here and down there. The job of the local church is to communicate the good news of Jesus Christ, draw people into a living relationship with God, and remold all of us into the Sermon on the Mount. Any worship style of any sort that aids in this, God will use. So here's the question this morning. Honestly, since God wants us to be passionate worshipers. And since we have been made to do this, and since God delights in this, and we delight in Him, and this is one way we draw near to God, and He draws near to us, and it's an act of spiritual warfare, and he, he sets people free, and it's evangelism, and it gives us our center as human beings in a Christocentric sense. Here's the question. How do we do this more and more in this church? Because the atmosphere of worship in this church has changed over the last three years to the positive, no doubt about it. But how does this church even more and more and more and more be marked by authentic, honest, real, passionate, verbal, and musical worship? Well, three things. And I'm going to ask you to write them down. I'm going to be a little Rick Warren right now. Write them down. Pull out your paper, pens, iPads, Androids, iPhones, whatever. And here's the three things I'm going to say. And then we're going to end with some worship. Here's the first one. I am pleading with you. To come to church with a biblical worldview of what's happening. I'm pleading with you. Come prepared and really believe what Scripture says is happening. Say out loud before you come to church. And if you have kids like like me, you don't do this Sunday morning because you lose that battle. You do this Friday night or Saturday night or Thursday. I am coming to meet God today among His people. I am about to sing with angels. 
I'm about about to draw near to God, and he's going to draw near to us. Read Revelation 4 or 5 every Saturday night or Friday night and remind yourself of what you're about to walk into. See, I am telling you, I am telling you as a fellow follower of Jesus and a worshiper, if a whole church did this every week, this place would be unbelievably different. Come with a biblical worldview. Here's the second thing. Come clean. Come clean. I'm just going to read the scriptures to you. This is what the Bible says. 1 Timothy 2.8, Therefore I want men everywhere uh, to pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or disputing. Want revival, everyone? You want to lift up holy hands? The whole early church did together. It was a symbol of worship. Deal with anger and disputing. You don't like someone in this church? It's time to deal with it. You have an anger problem? It's time to start talking to some pastors. Like, it's time. You can't come to church hating other people in the church and lift up your holy hands and think that's not going to affect all of us. You cannot come to worship and play games. This is worship. This is not an in-sync conference. Like, it's not concert. We have to come in the moment where we are saying to God, am I struggling with anger? Oh, Lord, help me today. Am I disputing with another? Help me to work this out. It says in 1 Peter 3, 7, Husbands, in the same way, be considered as, as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you in the gracious gift of life so nothing will hinder your prayers. Are you telling me the way I treat my life, could, my wife could actually hinder my worship this morning? Yes. And, and wives, respect your husbands or your prayers will be hindered too. Before I got on stage today, I apologized to my wife. I meant to do it yesterday. I forgot about something. I did not treat her with respect yesterday afternoon. You want to come and see God draw close? You want to see revival? You want to see thousands of people really meet Jesus? This place explode? Anger, disputing, and lack of respect has to be broken in this church because it hinders worship. Hebrews 12 says, See that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. You have a bitterness problem? Ask the Lord to come close and deal with it long term so you can be set free and you don't defile the rest of us. Some of you are saying, but John, I've tried so hard to resolve this with other people. What do I do? Romans 12, 18. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. If you've tried, then come with a clean conscience. A person reading scripture, preaching scripture, leading worship, all of us singing along, for we are one thing before an audience, need to become clean. Never approach a worship time without asking, am I okay? And asking God to share it with you. Come with a biblical worldview. Deal with the issues that tear families apart. And lastly, come expectant. As Dan and the team come up, and we're going to do a little bit more of an extended worship time on this side, I just want to say this this morning. I believe what the Bible actually says about things. I didn't used to come to this church expectant on a Sunday morning. That has changed for me. And let me tell you why. It's not because I raise my hands more and I got an odd white dance going on up the front. I'm free to admit that I'm good. I'm safe with who I am. It's deeper. I started actually believing what the Bible taught. God says if I come near to him, he's going to come near to me. Period. I now come to church every Sunday feeling great, fluish, happy, sad, and I say out loud, I'm coming to you. You're coming to me. Let's go.
Come expectant on a Sunday morning. Come expectant on a Sunday evening. Come expectant to your connect group. Come expectant in your own devotional time because God is drawn to the people that he has redeemed because he's already called us his loved ones. Biblical worldview. Biblical worldview. Dealing with the stuff that tears the hearts of us and expectancy. This will transform a church. And many people will say, what is going on there? And we will say, we will respond, it's really not us or our style, it's Jesus. Pray with me and then let's realize that we're about to enter into everything I just preached. God of heaven and earth, Holy Father who sits on the throne, Holy Son, the Lamb of God slain who sits on the right hand of the throne, Holy, Holy Spirit, you described as the seven spirits of God that flood the earth, Holy Trinity. We join you right now and the whole church right now and every angel right now and we join every church on earth, persecuted and not, big, small, and we come together and we just say thank you. And here is our request because we know it brings you glory and it is your will. A simple prayer request. Lord, mark this church by passionate, verbal, and musical worship. Do it real. Do it big. Change our attitudes and our hearts so we can participate more in the divine nature you've invited us into. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.